1: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the 100th episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's topic is leading with emotional intelligence. I'm joined by Roberta Ann Moore. She is the author of Emotion at Work, Unleashing the Secret Power of Emotional Intelligence. The publisher is the Conscious Choices Corporation. Roberta is a business executive and licensed therapist. She is certified in Dr. Reuven Barron's model of emotional intelligence. She provides emotional intelligence assessments, training, and development using the EQI 2.0 and EQ360 programs as a framework. Welcome to the show, Roberta. Hi,
0: Dan. Thank you so much. This is so exciting. Thank you so much for inviting me.
1: Absolutely. So, um, Offer the readers, or listeners, a brief uh, sense of what the book's about, if you would.
0: Well, the book is about, um, basically, it's a model of emotional intelligence. It's called the EQI 2.0 that was started and researched by Dr. Ruben Barron and then picked up by Dr. Stephen Stein. He is also a contributor to the model. But the book takes this model and is an overview of the five different composites together, Dr. Stein and Dr. baron they were answering the, uh, the answers to two questions. What makes people happy and what makes people successful, both at work or at home? And they came up with 16 different emotional intelligence skills. These are skills that can be developed and learned. They are not traits that you're born with, as you might see in a different assessment model like um, Myers-Briggs or DISC. So the book is an overview of that model and how I have worked with clients to apply the model and how they start where we started and where we how they changed. It also includes questions and exercises that people can do to grow the skills.
1: Okay. And in fact, I think for today's uh, conversation, I'm going to focus particularly on those exercises because you have different ones under each of these, as you say, composites. So let's maybe jump to the first of them. The first composite in the book is self-perception. So, so what, what goes into self-perception?
0: Great question, Dan. Self-perception is basically how you see yourself. So the three skills involved there would be self-regard self-actualization, and emotional self-awareness. So if somebody is, what self-regard, by the way, is considered the foundational skill. So someone has to have enough or be high enough in self-regard if they want to do skill building on any of the other 15 skills. Self-regard is another word. I use it sometimes as confidence. Uh, But it's a person's ability to know that they are good at some things on one hand, need to be better at some other things on the other hand, but knowing both, they still love and accept themselves the way they are. Self-actualization is the skill of continual learning, doing work that gives somebody a sense of meaning and purpose. And emotional self-awareness is what it sounds like. It's knowing what you're feeling in the moment so that you're able to put a label on it.
1: Okay. It seems to me all of those have uh, an element of needing some courage to uh, actually, you know, do the hard work of uh, looking at things and really pondering them. Um, So in the the book, you're talking about situations where uh, people, you know, one of the exercises where people have trouble handling their emotions. So I'm interested in what, from your many years of doing this work now, what kind of situations have you seen up? come up most often in a business context?
0: Sure, Dan. So, uh, I'm going to answer from two different extremes on the one extreme, when there's a conflict and I've got, an I'll give you examples of these in a second here. When there's a conflict or an intense disagreement, there could be disappointment or frustration. People with low self-regard or low self-perception might tend to blurt things out that they later regret. Um, uh, for example, when, when negotiating compensation or somebody is passed off for, passed over for promotion, we might see that. And then on the other end of this, the extreme, it might be that someone's more passive and that they don't speak up or take up for themselves. So they might be in a meeting and the boss has asked the direct reports for people's opinions about something. And maybe they get to the last person and that person just says nothing. If, if they have low self-regard, they may not be able to speak up. So one of the examples I have is, and this has happened in the real estate industry, where um, this, the CEO, who's also a co-owner of this company, originally negotiated a compensation package with someone he was taking on as another partner. And they, he got all the paperwork ready, all the legalities that got through HR, all that kind of stuff. And then about a week um, before signing this, that person who is going to be the new partner wanted to amend it and decided they really needed or wanted a larger share of the profits. And so this was a surprise to the, you know, the CEO (laughs) co-owner, right? could imagine that. All the terms then needed to be negotiated, but this person had some trouble giving up the control. So apparently he got very angry, uh, lost it, kind of said some things he ought not to have said. But they all calmed down uh, and they waited, I guess, a couple of days and then they went back to it. Uh, The person who was requesting the renegotiation felt they were really bringing in, they're in a sales role, so they felt they were bringing in more revenue to the company. And that's why they felt entitled to a larger commission for what they sourced.
1: And was there a particular EQ tip skill that you gave them that really helped move this situation through to what I hope is a more successful outcome?
0: Yes, to remember the self-actualization, to remember why you're in this business in the first place and what what your passion is. And actually that caused the CEO, the CEO is actually in a process of reflection and contemplation and is going to sell off because of this, is selling off either two or three, they haven't decided yet, um, parts of the business. So they can just refocus and focus on what their original passion was, which is um, commercial real estate.
1: Okay. So, So things worked out well in the end um a second composite is self expression what what does that entail
0: self expression there are three skills there emotional expression which is the you know 85% of all communication is something we call meta communication so it's not the words you say as much as what's heard but the look on your face the tone of your voice your body sure. posture that's emotional expression and you want to use those in a constructive way not in a destructive way assertiveness is a, is very important here that's some of my clients say robert i don't know why i scored so low i am assertive i i do <laughs> take up for myself and i say okay but do you do that in a non-offensive way and then they say oh No, (laughs) no, I don't. (laughs) And then independence is being able to work with a lot of without needing a lot of reassurance um, from the person you report to at whatever level you're at to know that you're working in the right direction. So it's being self-directed or self-motivated.
1: When you're describing assertive, but in a non-offensive way, I just have to ask the question, would you say that it's a problem more for your male clients than female clients in business or, or not true or any other patterns you see there? Yes,
0: I love this question. Okay, I was, going to, I was going to mention this and you reminded me. And this will fit with the next composite too a little bit. So the way this um, model is structured and the assessment tool is structured, they've made it gender neutral. However, in my experience... Mm-hmm. You're catching on to something, Dan. This is exactly what I see, is that the men have more trouble being assertive in a non-offensive way than do the women. So men are usually – they're not as good at that as women are because they lack empathy. Women tend to be higher in the empathy skill, and then they are usually lower in the assertiveness skill.
1: Yep. Yep. And how do they respond? I just have to ask this also as a follow-on. I mean, you are obviously a a woman giving advice. Do you find that there's some paternalism that's involved, unfortunately, here? Or do they take fairly well in in terms of coaching to uh, modulate that assertiveness and and hopefully amp up the empathy?
0: I haven't, Dan, I haven't had anyone yet, any female, complain about any paternalism. Most of them are very eager to learn and want to be oh, oh, their oh, job. I, I,
1: yeah, sorry, I, I I probably didn't phrase it right. I was wondering about you as a female coach for a male executive oh. and how they take coaching. <laughs> okay, yeah,
0: all right. So you, Dan, I'm just going to be brutally honest. What I had to do when I got certified to use this, I had to take the EQI 2.0 assessment myself. And sure. I was scoring at the time was scoring lower in assertiveness and higher in empathy. So I was out of balance. So I hired a coach. I hired someone to coach me for two years to increase my assertiveness to match those of my male clients. So you're, you, you're at your spot on there. I had to work at that to to get myself up to that level.
1: Okay, Makes some sense to me. Um, the the exercise I was curious about here was, you know, what patterns you've seen when people are asked, "What does winning professionally and being successful mean to them?" You know, w- what what do they tend to say?
0: So I'm going to tie this one in because we were talking about assert- assertiveness. I'm going to make this sure. very relevant here. Uh, winning professionally was a was a favorite phrase when I worked with. Um, the regional leader or, or a branch leader, I guess, but of a very large insurance company. And this person had been in uh, what we you would call production. They would call it maybe sales production and had sure. instead switched to being, um, and they were a top 10 nationwide salesperson, switched to being a managing partner of a large branch. And when they started the their role they they were being they were being aggressive instead of assertive so they were being they were expecting all the people that reported to them to take on the business to, to, to think that winning professionally which to that person meant I want my branch to be in the top ten across the nation yep. in sales production just like I was uh, in the top 10. In sales As an and production. individual, yeah, yes. So this person had to learn to soften. This person had to. Uh, they made their goal, by the way, but they had to learn <laughs> to soften. They had to learn to listen to people more. They had to learn to have, have kind of like an open door policy instead of a closed door policy. Walk around the office, talk to people, things like that.
1: Okay. Well, I think a really good leader knows that, um, you know, you're going to bring people along if they all get a sense that they're, they're enjoying and joining in on a winning versus having, you know, this, this intense drive you know, directed at them that feels overwhelming rather than inclusive.
0: Yes, very, very true.
1: So um, interpersonal composite, what are we talking about in that case?
0: And I alluded to this, but we're talking about interpersonal relationships. Relationships you have with people, the skill of empathy and the skill of social responsibility. So with interpersonal relationships, are your relationships mutual? Is each person giving and receiving in an equal way? Um, If not, those relationships could be out of balance. Empathy. Meaning, can you, are you able to put yourself in someone else's shoes, see things from their point of view to be, you don't have to agree with what they say, but to be able to say, oh, knowing you as I know you, I understand where you're coming from. Uh, So people feel seen, heard, and understood. And then social responsibility would be, I care, I care as much about my own goals as I do the goals of the whole team. I care about the goals of my team and everybody meeting their goals and I care about the goals of the company. So this this idea that there is a something bigger and larger than just yourself.
1: Yeah, no, this would seem to be the the hinge or the difficulty, the challenge for that insurance guy you just mentioned, because he was top ten as an individual and promotion met that he now had a team that he had to try to bring with him, And so I could see that the assertiveness was now being asked to grow into some uh, larger skills involving this interpersonal dimension. Yeah. So um, I I was really curious here. There's an exercise you mentioned about you essentially an internal audit. You look at your work relationships and you're judging them based on mutuality to the extent to which it exists And you're asking people in the exercise to come up with the the positive and negatives of what they're experiencing. I ask this in part because so much of work, as you would well know, has shifted to, you know, supposedly teamwork. But uh, lots of people complain that in the end, the teamwork means it all falls to me. Um, So these things are not easy to navigate. Um, What have you, what have you seen from using this exercise over the years in terms of mutuality and work relations? All right.
0: So, uh, Of course, when people say that people bring positive things to the table, they might mention that somebody's competent, intelligent, honest, forward-looking, inspiring, fair-minded, broad-minded, supportive, straightforward, and dependable. And then when they they talk about the negatives, I I actually, in uh, one of my workshops, I asked the question, which kind of fits in here, tell me, think about one of your bosses who was the best boss and now who was the worst boss that you ever had? And sometimes people are in, in either the webinar or the workshop with their boss. So I say it has to be a past <laughs> one. <laughs> right? Sure. And what people say on the negative side is, Oh, that person thought they knew it all. And they, they were condescending. They didn't think I knew much of anything. Um, they took credit for my work when they were presenting to the higher ups um, they were micromanagers the, and, and instead of developing me or telling me what my career path could be, uh, instead of helping me grow, they just told me how to do something instead of helping me develop my skills. So a great example to, to illustrate this is in an engineering firm. And I have a client in this large engineering firm who is up for partner they will be promoted to partner within the year. However, they tend to, they have a large, I guess they have a large team. And when somebody, some of the people on the team are new and they're more junior, some are more senior. The issues are not with the senior people. The issues have been with the junior people in terms of if the, if the junior person didn't do the work right, this person who's up for partner will just stay up till 1130 or midnight and do it themselves, which as you know, is not such a good thing because you know, the no, person,
1: just, yeah.
0: the person <laughs> I coach is supposed to be developing that other person. And they're also t- a little inflexible emotionally. Um, mm-hmm. So I was, I was hired by one of the senior partners to help this person be more collaborative With the people that are on their team, as well as being more collaborative. With there is another person up for partner. They're both going to be promoted to partner within the year, and this my coachee is not as collaborative with that other person. So uh, we're we're working on all of those things.
1: Okay. Often when we talk about the interpersonal, I've been in corporate, you know, America as part of my career at one point earlier didn't take long to, uh, you know, be inundated with, you know, sports cliches and metaphors to the point where it got rather tiresome in um, any other context that you've ever been able to draw on to give people models outside of work. I mean, I guess I think of, you know, I'm always struck when I watch a movie the, the credits go on for so long, you really realize how much it's a team effort to create a movie Uh, So outside of sports, are there other frames of references that you've given people that they've been able to follow and and help them? Not everyone cares about sports, for instance, or has experience being on a sports team.
0: Well, I I, I use the reference as of a family. Because I'm uh, trained sure, in sure. family systems theory, basically, family systems theory was started by a group of engineers in corporate. Believe it or not, <laughs>
1: they, <laughs> uh, they, practically, <laughs> practically do not believe it, but okay, yeah.
0: <laughs> No, they did. They started cyber cyber cybernetics, and they they left engineering to be family therapists. But uh, applying that, what, what it says is, if one person in a family is having a problem with anything. Then everybody in the family is having a problem, and so That's systems good. theory is applied to the workplace in that way. If one person on a team is struggling, it's affecting everybody on that team in one way or another. So we good. okay, we want to help each other, just like
1: uh, we're all <laughs> part
0: of the same family.
1: Good. Yeah. No. Everyone can relate to that. Um, so uh, the fourth composite we got five of these. We're trying to to nail down here is uh, decision making. What what is what's involved there?
0: That Dan. That is problem solving, reality testing, and impulse control. So problem solving is can I keep my cool and not let intense emotions influence the solution I've come up with. So, you know, the pandemic is kind of a perfect example of that where people are able to stay cool and still make good decisions without letting fear or, you know, the uncertainty get in their way. Reality testing is, can I see, can I take in all the facts and keep my emotions calm in such a way that I, I see things accurately As they really are without allowing, as you know, we all have unconscious bias to some extent, but without out allowing that unconscious bias to color my picture of how things are. And then impulse control is another way to say that is to be the ability to be patient. So the ability to stay in something for the long game instead of just focusing on the short game.
1: Okay. Well, yeah, when I think of decision-making, I often, in this context, think back to behavioral economics because so many of those principles deal with the fact that we we think we have a command of all the information, but we don't. We have biases. We short-circuit and make quick decisions uh, based on limited information that we're drawn to that supports – a viewpoint we often already have. I don't know if everyone among your clients would surface that kind of frame of reference, but you do have this exercise where you ask them what are their major problems at work and uh, as part of that you asked how they started on them and how they are able to solve them
0: mm-hmm.
1: what what have you what have you what have you found from that exercise
0: so for this one i'm going to use the example of a large national fast food employer that i'm working with and i asked this question extensively um, i interviewed some of the owners the individual owners i went to the restaurants and observed and the re, the, these major problems that they're reporting, I, I would say they're probably not that different than what other industries are reporting now. But high staff turnover, you know, the yep. cost of having to replace and train staff, uh, pacing, highs and lows in the daily pace of the customers that come in, uh, employees not showing up for a shift at the last minute. And then, you know, what does that mean? It might mean the owner has to come in and do the shift. Um, high levels of multitasking when when that's required people having to have the flexibility to shift from one food station to the next food station and if they can't then they get stuck and then that's you know that's not good because um, their performance will go downhill and and then the, the 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 person who's managing for the day if they lose um if they, if they get stressed, they might elevate their voice or be shrill. And if one person has a, what they call an instant snap, it if, because emotions are contagious, it's affecting yes. the whole restaurant and the whole store, all the way down to customer service.
1: And what kind of tips have you been able to give them? Because my my fact, I'll, I'll tell you that my my sister is a franchise owner of a fast food restaurant, and previously owned three additional ones. So, I am intimately familiar with hearing <laughs> her tell me all of these Great. situations and problems. Um, so, uh, on behalf of my sister, what, what have been some tips <laughs> that you've offered to help alleviate these these stresses?
0: Well, it's really it's really important. Focusing on impulse control, okay? It's it's important that these mid-level managers uh, learn to be patient, which means they're able to have the calm to solve their everyday problems in a, without losing their cool. So building yep. that up, you can absolutely build that skill up and... So that they don't let strong emotions hijack their behavior. So it means like not learning. So learning to control your emotions. So they're not uh, triggering things like anger, which might cause these managers to behave in an overly aggressive manner. Because as I said, emotions are contagious. So when one person on the team is upset, it can spread to the others like a wildfire. So the leader the one that's managing for the day needs to be the one to learn to contain and use their emotions in a positive way, because leaders can sway people's emotions to the positive or to the negative. And we sure. don't and
1: how do you, and, yeah, and how do you get them to that that uh, greater patience?
0: It's training. We're actually going through a series of for six months, um, twice a month, uh, three hours each training on how to build the impulse control skill. So so, some people start out by learning, well, this is going to get complicated, learning about that fight or flight response, which comes from a very primitive part of our brain called the amygdala. There's actually an ABCDE exercise in the back of the book, in the the appendix, which this is not my exercise. Uh, I did not come up with it myself, but learning to know what your triggers are and then ahead of time practicing how you know if you know where they come from you know what to do to not let them hijack you you have to change your beliefs about the triggers and this gets complicated because then you this goes back to self-regard if somebody thinks they're a poor leader and they get triggered by somebody not showing up for for work that day for their shift and they think oh they take it personally oh they're not showing up because i'm a poor leader that will taint their behavior for the rest of the day and everybody else okay is.
1: <laughs> sure sure no so knowing i see that it's
0: not personal i'm not taking this personal using empathy skills to say maybe that person's not here because someone in their family got sick and they had to be taken to the hospital which actually happens sometimes right
1: Sure, especially in the age of COVID.
0: Yes, exactly. So using that empathy skill, learning how to balance all of that.
1: Okay, so we got one last composite here before we run out of time. That's stress management, um, which seems all-consuming. Right. Um, what what goes into that composite?
0: Flexibility, which is emotional flexibility. I I did an um, I assessed the executive leadership team at a financial institution, and one of the people who was in charge of compliance. And government regulation said, "I, Roberta, you don't understand. I cannot be flexible." And I said, "Wait (laughs) a minute. You know, I came to this career by. I was a CPA before. I used to be in public accounting. I'm not talking about two plus two. You know, has to equal four, or two plus two can't equal six, or something like that. I'm talking about the emotional flexibility. That emotionally, if you have to pivot." Like because of in the pandemic, we people had to pivot in this in this place of work. They wanted their people there in person. They thought it was absolutely critical that everybody be in the bank um, to to do their job. But they had to be emotionally flexible and learn people couldn't. Right? How do we help them work remotely? So that was an emotional flex, not a not a you know a math Physical. type flex.
1: Yeah
0: and then stress tolerance is being having the coping mechanisms to cope well when there's change and uncertainty and optimism is the ability to see a bright future when there isn't one right now so sure.
1: do you, do you find that people who have a sense of humor do better with stress management
0: absolutely oh absolutely <laughs> because if so the people who do best with it Dan are those that are hardy and resilient <laughs> and see it as a challenge. They see it as a growth opportunity in, instead of a stuck place or a point of no return. And they imagine, oh, I wonder what new skills I'll have. When, I, when we reach the end of this, I wonder what new skills I'll have or how, how different I might be. And then they approach it you know, with, with, in a positive way instead of a negative way.
1: Yeah, no, that'd be much better than thinking you're under siege and it'll never end and yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to starve to death yes. me- mentally, emotionally by the time it's done. So you have an exercise here that's characteristics of a positive leader and you ask people to say what those characteristics are. I imagine you've got a, a, a tickle, tickler list here of a few things.
0: Well, the, to be able to see that they're hardy, that they're resilient. So let me give you an example. I have a client... Okay that fits this uh, exercise really well, they are a newer client that I'm working with, and they're in the freight forwarding industry. This client has been working in this industry 20 years and is recently, or he's, he's on the ticket to be promoted to run the entire region, um, and they, they deal with uh, freight forwarding of fine art, so masterpieces in fine art. So when there are things like weather weather issues like snowstorms or ice storms and there's delays in the flights my client might have a very expensive work of art out on the tarmac and this client has to make sure that there is a security guard there especially if, yep. a, if it's not going straight to another flight because that particular flight got canceled. So I'm working with this person to help them Think of positive things like, you know, because they, they get angry, they get stressed and they get angry and then they treat the direct report with that type of uh, like almost brusque or blunt or bullish tone of voice. And then, of course, that person doesn't want to do their job right
1: Yeah, no. Who who wants to stick around to be verbally hit? No one.
0: So I am tell this person to make a list of the accomplishments that they've done in the past. So to think of a time when this happened before and to remember that you were able to solve this problem. You were able to flex emotionally, stay calm. So, So what this person is doing to solve that, Dan, is he's taking a deep breath. And he's, his new, new next step is to tell the direct report, I'm doing the best I can today, but this is going to be a stressful day. I know I'm coaching and mentoring you. I'm going to do my very best, but I apologize in advance if I <laughs> sure. lose it.
1: Okay. So, And if you do this work really well, are you going to get compensated with a Monet or Van Gogh?
0: Ah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we wish, but that would be really funny.
1: Yeah. So, well, I want to thank you so much, Roberta. Our time's about up here. Uh, You've been my guest on Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. This is episode 100, Leading with Emotional Intelligence. Roberta Ann Moore is the author of Emotion at Work, Unleashing the Secret Power of Emotional Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's show, please give it a rating or review on iTunes. You can find other episodes by going to my company's uh, website, the obligatory three W's dot And you'll find them there or going to the new books network and typing in Dan Hill's EQ spotlight, and they'll uh, show up. Finally, I like to conclude every episode with an epigram. In this case, I finally decided to go ahead and, and cite Carl Jung who said, until you make the unconscious conscious, It will direct your life, and you will call it fate. Until next time, take care and be well.